0: Greetings, and welcome to the Home Depot Third Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Isabel Jancy. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Christine, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Home Depot's third quarter 2023 earnings call. Joining us on our call today are Ted Decker, Chair, President, and CEO, Anne-Marie Campbell, Senior Executive Vice President, Billy Bastick, Executive Vice President of Merchandising, and Richard McVale, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Following our prepared remarks, the call will be open for questions. Questions will be limited to analysts and investors, and as a reminder, please limit yourself to one question with one follow-up. If we are unable to get to your question during the call, please call our investor relations department at 770-384-2387. Before I turn the call over to Ted, let me remind you that today's press release and the presentations made by our executives include forward-looking statements as defined in the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from our expectations and projections. These risks and uncertainties include, but are not limited, to the factors identified in the release and in our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Today's presentations will also include certain non-GAAP measures. Reconciliation of these measures is provided on our website. Now, let me turn the call over to Ted.
2: Thank you, Isabel, and good morning, everyone. Sales for the third quarter were $37.7 billion, down 3% from the same period last year. Comp sales declined 3.1% from the same period last year. And our U.S. stores had negative comps of 3.5%. Diluted earnings per share were $3.81 in the third quarter, compared to $4.24 in the third quarter last year. The third quarter was in line with our expectations. Similar to the second quarter, we saw continued customer engagement with smaller projects and experienced pressure in certain big-ticket discretionary categories. In addition, lumber and copper and wire deflation and storm-related overlaps negatively impacted results in the quarter. Billy will discuss these and other business trends shortly. During the third quarter, our pro customer outperformed our DIY customer. While internal and external surveys suggest that pro backlogs are lower than they were a year ago, they are still healthy and elevated relative to historical norms. With only one quarter left in the year, we believe the endpoints for a previous guidance range are no longer likely outcomes. As a result, and as we announced in this morning's press release, we narrowed our guidance range for fiscal 2023. Richard will take you through the details in a moment. As we've discussed, this year reflects a period of moderation. However, we are confident in our ability to navigate through this unique environment. We remain very excited about our strategic initiatives and are committed to investing in the business to deliver the best interconnected shopping experience, capture wallet share with the pro, and grow our store footprint. As we discussed at the investor conference in June, we continue to invest and focus on creating a frictionless, interconnected shopping experience for our customers. We are pleased with the progress we are making. HomeDepot.com is one of the largest retail websites in the United States, and our digital app is one of the most highly rated in all of retail. And yet, we believe there's still opportunity to reduce pain points across the shopping journey. Our teams are identifying areas of of improvement, like better communication throughout the shopping journey, an easier returns process, and the ability to seamlessly and intuitively make changes to an order once placed. For our pros, we are investing in a multitude of initiatives. We remain focused on building out our unique ecosystem of products and services. As a result, we are evolving our organizational structure, and recently elevated Anne Marie Campbell to Senior Executive Vice President, better aligning our outside sales and service business in the global stores organization. Pro is one of our biggest growth opportunities, and this organizational change will allow us to better serve them by leveraging our full ecosystem of expertise, product assortment, fulfillment, and operations. Our merchants, store and MET teams, Supplier partners and supply chain teams did an outstanding job delivering value and service to our customers throughout the quarter, and I'd like to close by thanking them for their dedication and hard work. In addition, the Home Depot is proud to have tens of thousands of veterans, service members, and military spouses in orange aprons. Last week, we announced the Home Depot Foundation surpassed the goal of $500 million invested in veterans' causes and also increase the total commitment to $750 million by 2030. And with that, I'd like to turn the call over to Ann.
3: Thanks, Ted, and good morning, everyone. Let me start by saying that I'm very excited about my new role and the alignment it will create between the outside sales and services business and the global store organization. As you heard at our investor conference in June, Capturing a greater share of the Pro's wallet is one of our largest growth opportunities. It represents roughly $475 billion in addressable market, and today we have relatively little share. The beauty of the Home Depot is that we have unique competitive advantages. Our convenience stores, our leading brands, our engaged associates, our expansive fulfillment options that are on maps and that can be leveraged for the benefit of our customers. And that's exactly what we aim to do. To do that, our new organizational structure will create stronger momentum with our teams to drive success with the pro. Hector Padilla will focus on improving the experience for pros shopping or stores. His 29-year tenure and knowledge of our store operations and new pro capabilities will be instrumental in achieving our goals. And Chip Devine, or Head of Outside Sales, brings nearly 30 years of distribution experience. He will work on building out capabilities to better serve more complex product needs. Ultimately, we must focus on removing friction within our operations so our customers have a great experience every single time, no matter how they choose to shop with us whether in the aisles of our stores, picking a product at the store, receiving product at their job site with a sales associate or digitally. We know that most of our pros use many of these capabilities across our ecosystem when shopping with us. For us, we are building trust and a partnership that lasts for decades and across generations. This means we have to work hard to deliver a great experience regardless of their point of interaction. As you know, we have identified additional growth opportunities with the PRO, which requires us to invest in new capabilities and functionalities across the business. Think about the initiative we are undertaking with the Complex Pro. This customer interacts differently. They are accustomed to interacting with their suppliers in a different way than our traditional business model. Pros working on complex products want to reserve product, use trade credit, and have products delivered to their job site in a staged manner. While these capabilities exist in the market today, we are incorporating them in our full ecosystem to serve pro customers in a way no one else can. I could not be more excited about the opportunity that lies ahead. And for the in-store experience, over the last several years, we have talked about the importance of in-stock and ultimately on-shelf availability, or OSA. Having the right products in stock, in the right quantity, and on-the-shelf available for purchase is critical. And we've implemented several initiatives to help us do this more effectively and efficiently. In the past, we've talked about GSR, or get stores right. GSR drives productivity by using our proprietary space allocation model, coupled with or tenured field merchandising teams to determine which categories to invest in on a store-by-store basis. More recently, we have talked to you about our rollout of Sidekick and computer vision. Using machine learning technology, computer vision helps our associates quickly find depolitized product in the overhead, and Sidekick helps direct associates to key base where OSAs low or outs exist. Today, these tools have been deployed across all U.S. stores, and while early days, they have driven meaningful improvement in our on-shelf availability. The beauty of these initiatives is that they also drive productivity. They make it easier for associates to restock product, have a greater depth of high-velocity products and ensure we remain in stock with more products on the shelf and available for sale. As a result, we enable our associates to focus on the most important tasks and allocate more time to deliver a better shopping experience. These are just a few examples of the many different types of initiatives that can drive significant value for customers, our associates, and our shareholders. Despite a challenging year, our amazing associates have remained engaged and ready to serve our customers, and I want to thank them for all they do. With that, let me turn the call over to Billy.
4: Thank you, Ann. Good morning, everyone. I want to start by also thanking all of our associates and supplier partners for their ongoing commitment to serving our customers and communities. As you heard from Ted, during the third quarter, our sales were in line with our expectations. However, we did have some unfavorable impacts from core commodity deflation and storm-related overlaps. We saw a continuation of a trend that we have been observing throughout the year, with softness in certain big-ticket discretionary-type purchases. Instead of engaging in larger projects, customers continued to take on smaller projects. Turning to our department comp performance for the third quarter, Our building materials department posted a positive comp, and seven of our remaining 13 merchandising departments posted comps above the company average, including plumbing, appliances, hardware, outdoor garden, millwork, tools, and paint. During the third quarter, our comp transactions decreased 2.7%, and comp average ticket decreased 0.3%. Excluding deflation from core commodities, we experienced comp average ticket growth primarily driven by demand for new and innovative products. Deflation from core commodity categories negatively impacted our average ticket growth by approximately 60 basis points during the third quarter, driven by deflation in lumber and copper. During the third quarter, we continued to see a decline in lumber prices relative to a year ago. As an example, on average, framing lumber was approximately $420 per 1,000 board feet compared to approximately $545 in the third quarter of 2022, representing a decrease of over 20%. Big-ticket comp transactions, or those over $1,000, were down 5.2% compared to the third quarter of last year. We continue to see softer engagement in big-ticket discretionary categories like flooring, countertops, and cabinets. However, we saw big-ticket strength in pro-heavy categories like roofing, insulation, and portable power. Turning to total company online sales, sales leveraging our digital platforms increased approximately 5% compared to the third quarter of last year. We continued to invest in the digital experience across our website and app and released a variety of enhancements in the third quarter. These range from simple improvements to help customers track orders, to more complex things like updating our search and recommendation algorithms. For those customers that transacted with us online during the third quarter, nearly half of our online orders were fulfilled through our stores. During the third quarter, we hosted our annual Labor Day appliance and Halloween events and were pleased with the results. In appliances, we were encouraged with the customers' engagement during the event. And 2023 was another record sales year for our Halloween program, both in store and online as our customers continue to add to their collection with our unique and exclusive product assortment. As we turn our attention to the fourth quarter, we intend to continue this momentum with our annual holiday, Black Friday, and gift center events. In our gift center, we continue to lean into brands that matter most for our customers with our assortment of Milwaukee, Ryobi, Makita, Dewalt, Rigid, Husky, and more. We will have something for everyone, whether it's our wide assortment of cordless Ryobi tools, DeWalt's Atomic Drill and Impact Kits, or our new Milwaukee M18 Forge Batteries. These new M18 Forge Batteries will be a game-changer for our pro customer, providing the most powerful, fastest-charging, and longest life of any battery on the Milwaukee M18 platform. This quarter, I'm also excited to announce the addition of WAGO to our powerhouse assortment of pro brands, including Milwaukee, USG, custom building products, Leviton, and QEP, to name a few. It is these strategic vendor relationships that make us the product authority in home improvement, and the addition of WAGO will help extend our position. WAGO is one of the top requested, most innovative programs in the wire connector segment that features a releasable, level-lock wire connector that speeds up installation and saves space in tight applications. We recently launched a number of SKUs in our stores, which are exclusive to the Home Depot and the National Big Box Retail Channel. Our merchandising organization remains focused on being our customer's advocate for value. This means continuing to provide a broad assortment of best-in-class products that are in stock and available for our customers when they need it. We will also continue to lean into products that simplify the project, saving our customers time and money. That's why I am so excited about the innovation we continue to bring to the market. With that said, I'd like to turn the call over to Richard. Thank you, Billy, and good morning, everyone. In the third quarter, total
5: sales were $37.7 billion, a decrease of approximately $1.2 billion or 3% from last year. During the third quarter, our total company comps were negative 3.1%, with comps of negative 2.1% in August, negative 3.4% in September, and negative 3.7% in October. Comps in the U.S. were negative 3.5% for the quarter, with comps of negative 2.5% in August, negative 3.8% in September, and negative 4.1% in October. In local currency, Mexico and Canada posted comps above the company average. It is important to note that adjusting for storm-related overlaps and some seasonal shift, monthly comps were relatively consistent across the quarter. In the third quarter, our gross margin was 33.8%, a decrease of approximately 20 basis points from the third quarter last year, which was in line with our expectations. During the third quarter, operating expense as a percent of sales increased approximately 120 basis points to 19.4% compared to the third quarter of 2022. Our operating expense performance during the third quarter reflects our previously executed compensation increases for hourly associates, as well as deleverage from our top-line results. Our operating margin for the third quarter was 14.3% compared to 15.8% in the third quarter of 2022. Interest and other expense for the third quarter increased by approximately $30 million to $438 million. In the third quarter, our effective tax rate was 23.3% down from 24.4% in the third quarter of fiscal 2022. Our diluted earnings per share for the third quarter were $3.81, a decrease of 10.1% compared to the third quarter of 2022. During the third quarter, we opened seven new stores, bringing our total store count to 2,333. Retail selling square footage was approximately 242 million square feet. At the end of the quarter, merchandise inventories were $22.8 billion, down $2.9 billion, or 11%, compared to the third quarter of 2022, and inventory turns were 4.3 times flat to one year ago. Turning to capital allocation, after investing in our business and paying our dividend, it is our intent to return excess cash to shareholders in the form of share repurchases. During the quarter, we invested approximately $670 million back into our business in the form of capital expenditures. And during the quarter, we paid approximately $2.1 billion in dividends to our shareholders, and we returned approximately $1.5 billion to shareholders in the form of share repurchases. Computed on the average of beginning and ending long-term debt and equity for the trailing 12 months, Return on invested capital was approximately 38.7%, down from 43.3% in the third quarter of fiscal 2022. Now I will comment on our guidance for fiscal 2023. As you heard from Ted, with one quarter remaining in fiscal 2023, we no longer expect the endpoints of our previous guidance range as likely outcomes, And therefore, we are narrowing our guidance for 2023. We expect fiscal 2023 sales and comp sales to decline between 3 and 4 percent. We are targeting an operating margin between 14.2 and 14.1 percent for the year. Our effective tax rate is targeted at approximately 24.5 percent. We expect interest expense of approximately $1.8 billion, and we are anticipating between a 9 and 11% decline in diluted earnings per share compared to fiscal 2022. In addition, as you heard from Anne, we continue to focus on driving productivity in the business. We have taken a number of actions that will help us realize the previously announced $500 million in annualized cost savings in 2024 and are fully confident that we will deliver on this commitment. We also remain focused on meeting the needs of our customers with our leading product authority in home improvement, strong in-stock levels, and knowledgeable associates. We will continue to prudently invest to strengthen our competitive position and leverage our scale and low-cost position to outperform our market and deliver shareholder value. Thank you for your participation in today's call. And, Christine, we are now ready for questions.
0: Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Thank you. Our first question comes from the line of Simeon Gutman with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question.
6: Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, In in thinking about inflections and when we might see one, um, looking at the spread maybe between DIY and pro, is the story of this quarter that maybe DIY is stabilized, but the pro is getting a little bit worse? And then if that's right, and, you know, feel feet to correct if that's wrong, you know, would that mean that it could take a little longer than for the pro sort of normalizing to play out, and actually the overall comp could get a little worse before it gets better?
2: Morning, Simeon. Thanks for the question. I, I would say pro and consumer, you know, it had the narrowest performance um, gap in some time, so they they both performed Um, reasonably well you know if you step back and and look at the quarter we we feel really good about the third quarter and we narrowed our our comp guidance for the year because of that and in fact if you look at the performance of the business overall this year if you look at the seasonality of Q1 and Q2 we're pretty smooth in that minus 3% comp through the first three quarters of this year and that's normalized for weather and storms and commodity price deflation. And then our regional uh, businesses are also uh, pretty consistent. We've seen the, the least variability in regions. And as I said, the, the narrowest gap between pro and consumer. We had really good seasonal sell-through. And as prices have settled with abating um, deflation, we, we feel, feel pretty good about that. And our operations are are increasingly getting back to normal. The supply chain is operating very well. Our inventory positions are better. Our in-stock rates are are much better. As Anne took you through all the the things we're doing in the store to improve on-shelf availability. Our value propositions, as as Billy mentioned, are in great shape. And and product innovation um, is, is better than it's ever been in the wage investments, are paying off. Um, our attrition is, is way down, and, and with that attrition being down, our associates have had more more time in the store, um, their ability to serve customers has improved. So all of that really um, is what delivered that consistent comp throughout the year. But you know, to answer your specific question, as we sit here feeling really good about the operations, the, you know, share shift of, of PCE from pre-COVID um, to today, you know, has not completely reverted. And we're still not exactly sure where, you know, that reverts to. The asset class for home improvement is worth $15-odd trillion more than it was um, pre-pandemic. And we know now that the Fed is, it definitely has a higher for longer monetary posture, and that's going to continue to pressure durable goods in financing or or motivation for larger home improvement projects. So as we said, you know, we see great engagement, engagement in seasonal goods, engagement with smaller projects. It's that the the larger projects are, are a bit down at the moment. So that's what we're watching. I mean, we're not obviously talking about 2024 today, but, you know, lots of good news in the operations of the business. Great news with still a very resilient customer. I mean, we just came off a of 4.9% GDP in Q3, driven by the consumer. But as you know, we're we're looking at it this year, this period of moderation um, for home improvement spend. But couldn't feel better about about the business and in our operations overall.
6: Thanks for that. And then maybe the follow-up you mentioned GDP. Given you know, that home prices seem to be pretty sticky, even with pretty weak turnover, and may not get it, get any better, how should we should we think about GDP? Should we revert to GDP as maybe a better proxy for how the business could do?
5: Simeon, this is Richard. You know, we we have tried to take the most thoughtful approach possible in the, over the last few years of what the drivers of the business are, and those things that indicate to us, uh, you know, how we have settled back out of the pandemic period. And that's why we focused on share of PCE. Uh, like Ted said, we're not going to talk about 2024 today. There is an underlying uh, kind of layer of economic activity that supports the business. But as Ted pointed out, number one, we still haven't reverted all the way back to uh, to 2019 levels of PCE share and the Fed stance of higher for longer, uh, has had and could have increasing pressure on the outlook for durables and housing related spend. So like Ted said, that's what we're watching at the moment. Um, and we will, we'll talk about 2024 when we get to our, our call next quarter.
6: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Zach Fadem with Wells Fargo. Please proceed with your question.
7: Hey, good morning. Um, Richard, considering all the ins and outs of your cost base this year with you know, wage investments, you've got the legal settlement in Q1 plus the, the cost saves next year, is it fair for us to assume your operating margins can expand in 2024, or is there a certain level of comp that you will need to see to hold this 14% plus margin?
5: morning zach thanks for that question you know margin expansion is largely a function of top line growth um there is a a a point there in the low positive uh, comp digits where you see expense uh, turn from deleverage to leverage we're not going to take on 2024 uh, guidance today Um, what what we have done is we have uh put in place measures and, in fact, now have essentially completed actions that will provide us with a $500 million cost buffer heading into 2024, and so regardless of the outlook, that provides some buffer in, in margin.
7: Got it. And then you mentioned that you would reinvest the legal settlement gain from Q1. So. First of all, any color on what this reinvestment actually is or what it would look like? And then is it fair to say the investment will be largely in Q4, or was there part of that in Q3? We've had,
5: we've had part of that uh, spent throughout the year. I think it is still a correct assumption that that favorability will be fully offset by the end of the year. And so I really point you to our guidance as the best uh, jumping off point for your modeling.
7: Got it. Thanks for the time.
3: Thanks, Adam.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Scott Ciccarelli with Truist. Please proceed with your question.
7: Uh, Good morning, everyone. So in some other retail verticals, or a lot of other retail verticals, we're seeing a a return to pre-COVID purchasing patterns where, you probably see more activity, purchasing activity on weekends and around holidays and events, with frankly bigger lulls in between. So the questions are: one, are you seeing a similar general pattern? And two, assuming that is the case, are there ways for you guys to take advantage of that pattern from an operational standpoint to improve productivity? Thanks.
4: Yeah, thanks for the for the question, Scott. It's Billy. Um, listen, as it, as it relates to you know, different fluctuations in customer patterns and so forth, we, we haven't seen that. but very consistent uh, throughout the quarter, and as Ted mentioned, in his prepared remarks really throughout the year when you account for some of the weather and, and some of the bathtub effect we saw in, in the first half. So we, we haven't seen that. As it, listen, as it relates to promotional activity whatsoever, we have events in our stores that we – Love to execute and drive excitement for our customers, but from a promotional activity standpoint, it's really reverted back to pre-COVID um, times. It's, you know, our pricing has certainly, as Ted mentioned, settled over the last several months. The environment certainly stabilized. So, you know, we operate in a very we operate in a very rational market and promotional environment. As I said, just has returned to kind of pre-pandemic times.
2: And, and we will always, Scott. We will always focus on EDLP. I mean, we we have events during, you know, certain seasons that they're a lot of fun, they're engaging for the associate, they're engaging for our customers. But day in and day out, 12 months a year, we strive to be an EDLP retailer with great values every day.
7: Got it. Thanks. And then just just a quick follow-up. On the big ticket um, discretionary, is there any specific areas where you're actually seeing a positive inflection, or are they all still trending uh, called mid-single-digit negative?
4: You no, know, we we called out in my prepared remarks categories like portable power and so forth, where we have seen great engagement. And candidly, you know, we're thrilled with the innovation that we continue to partner with our supplier base on that we bring to the market. And where we continue to see innovation, we continue to see great engagement with both the pro and the consumer.
7: Got right. it. Thanks,
0: guys. Our next question comes from the line of Chris Horvers with JP Morgan. Please proceed with your question.
8: Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so, a couple follow ups to prior questions. My first one is with the gross margin decline in the third quarter, uh, can you talk a little bit about what drove that? you were lapping storm-related demand, and you had some commodity deflation. So I would thought that those would be positive. So is that fair, and what were the offsets that that drove it lower?
5: Thanks for the question, Chris. You know, I'll go back to Billy's comments, and Ted mentioned this as well. I think the most important observation we've made is that the worst of the inflationary environment is behind us. And as a result, As Billy said, retail prices are settling in the market. Some prices are settling at levels higher than 2022. Others are settling lower. But we're seeing some stabilization there that that, uh, Billy can talk about. Specific to the quarter and gross margin, there are some timing differences as some prices settled ahead of anticipated product and transportation cost benefits that will come through as we turn through our inventory. Uh, but those are – I'd really sort of consider those timing. For the full year, our view on gross margin hasn't changed, and we expect to see slight pressure year over year. But, Billy, maybe just talk about kind of the,
4: you know, the, the settling of prices. Yeah, I mean, as you, as you mentioned, the, you know, the inflation um, environment seems to be behind us. Prices absolutely settled in. And, and again, I, I reiterate what I said, you know, work in a very rational market. The other thing I'd add is this is no different than any other time frame, frankly. We have a portfolio approach to how we take on whether it's lumber deflation that we've talked a lot about throughout the year or other, you know, ins and outs as it relates to the P&L. So a very normalized environment, rational, and, and really a stabilization that we've seen across the board as it relates to pricing.
8: Got it. Got it, got it, got it. So uh, that makes sense. And then on the um, on the variable cost side, you talked about a low single-digit leverage point historically, and the 500 million of cost savings next year. Uh, you've had, at the same time, you've had negative transactions for quite some time now. So, can you talk about, you know, where we are in terms of the how how labor can maybe become le- how it becomes less variable over time, maybe in the context of, you know, the percentage of stores on minimum staffing levels and. You know, if if there is negative comps in 24 or over the next six months, you know, is the flexibility uh, that you get from the 500 million offset by the fact that uh, you'll be, you could be having still negative transactions and less flexibility?
5: Chris, thanks for the question. There's a lot of kind of 2024 conjecture built into that answer. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you that. that it, right. So I think uh, when you're talking about changes in the nature of our labor model, uh, the the degree of, of uh, change in transactions really isn't material enough to say that changes the nature of our labor model.
8: Got it. Sounds good. Thanks very much.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Michael Lasser with UBS. Please proceed with your question.
9: Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my question. You talked about the promotional environment discounting being uh, very rational. If the cycle or the downturn for home improvement remains protracted and extended, under what conditions would you expect that discounting will be more intense than it was in, in 2019 across the industry? And if that were to be the case, would Home Depot choose to its remain uh, true to the everyday low price and the portfolio dy- uh, approach that it it has, or would it look to protect market share and uh, participate in some of that activity?
2: Good morning michael yes we we will stay committed to to edlp and in our our promotional cadences as we said earlier. You know, the Black Friday, you know, appliances and gift center, and and you know some spring events for for you know seasonal garden items to get traffic in stores. Those those have have been, you know, the playbook for years and years, right, Billy? Right. And and we don't see us going away from that. And in, in fact, we've we've stayed truer to reductions of promotions when you think of of categories like ceiling fans that I remember was constantly on and off, you know, 10 and 20% off paint, um, which, which was a promotional category where, you know, you know, five and tens, and then it went to 10 and 20s. We've backed off all of that. And in, in, uh, on the margin, we prefer to be even less promotional than we are today. If you had a, a prota- protracted downturn, in the market. I mean, for sure we're going to be competitive and for sure we, we are going to protect our share. But when you think of the nature of a, of a large home improvement project, certainly one done by a pro, you know, the labor component is such a big piece of that job. I mean, just take paint, for example. You know, if you're painting your, your living room for, you know, $500, the paint in that job is going to be less than $100, and, and it's your, your labor bill, either your opportunity cost as a consumer or, or the pro doing the job for you. So, you know, being super aggressive to, to take $10 off the $100 component of a $500 job I don't think really moves the needle, and that's why our 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 bias, our starting position would be no, we wouldn't we wouldn't chase a lot of price in that dynamic.
9: Gotcha. you. Uh, very helpful. My follow up question is historically, Home Depot has under promised and, and over delivered in in just about all facets. Is it is it realistic to think that you took the same approach? when building this 500 million dollars of of net cost savings for next year such that there could be upside to that number
5: that well that that cost number was really more a function of having built capacity to handle the explosion in our volume during covid and then the sort of other side of that hill where we pulled capacity in many forms back and so it was the right thing to do regardless of the environment. Um, it does happen to provide a buffer for our operating margin uh, as we move into 2024.
9: Okay, thank you very much and have a great holiday.
5: You too.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Steven Zacone with City. Please proceed with your question.
7: Great. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my question. Congrats, Ann, on the new role. Uh, I wanted to focus on the pro side of the business. So um, the commentary about growing with the complex pro, in the past there's been a focus on the flatbed distribution centers and the rollout on a regional basis. Is that still very much the strategy for the next couple of years? And as you zoom out and think about the opportunity with the complex complex pro, what are the top priorities within those next one to two years?
3: Stephen, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, the kind words there. Um, You know, Chip is in the room, and he has been intimately, you know, uh, knowledgeable about that. And so I'm going to uh, throw it over to Chip, and he'll talk a little bit about some of the capabilities that we continue to leverage and some of the functionalities and capabilities that we will continue to build.
10: Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Um, We are going to continue certainly our march down to the expansion of our outside sales teams and continue to grow the Complex Pro, as it was mentioned in the earlier remarks. Uh, The connectivity into the store is an important part of this asset build as well. Um, Our pros shop in our stores every single day and connecting that ecosystem to our flatbed delivery systems is is part of that. So as we look and expand into different markets uh, as we move forward from where we currently are, we will continue to evaluate the best opportunity to expand those uh, distribution assets as well to support our growth in pro.
7: Okay, thanks. I wanted to revisit Simeon's question about inflection because I know it's a it's a challenging backdrop to predict. But I guess as you think about the business, what are the key building blocks to take the business from this period of moderation to a more stable market backdrop? When you talked about low single-digit market growth, and I'm curious if you could opine on: is it really the PCE shift? You know, is it rates? i just just any any help you provide would be, be helpful. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Stephen, for for that, you know, we're always looking at a balance between ticket and transactions, and you know, what was what was interesting during the, the COVID period, we were, we had inflation, so we had we had AUR up, and we had had ticket up, also driven by basket size, but the engagement was so high, you you, you really didn't have elasticities. You had you, know, you had. Driving ticket in transactions, and that's what led to the 25% comp. As inflation is abated in, in primarily commodities, and those those prices have come down, you've seen you know a fall off in ticket, and you didn't you didn't get the elasticity you know initially that you, that you'd expect, and and that was because people were still powering through projects, and now it's a mix of you know. What's, what's the, the level of, of response from pricing versus pull forward versus, you know, the Fed stance and higher interest rates? So that, that's all the, the dynamic that, that's muddying the, the traditional ticket and transaction dynamic. But what's healthy for us, you know, is a solid comp, you know, equally balanced between ticket and transactions. And that's, that's what we'd be looking for. And now, we, 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 as we've said, you know, prices have essentially leveled. Our our ticket, you know, was down modestly. And if you take out commodity, our ticket would have been up for the quarter. And then transactions, you know, we're still working through a bit of that PCE shift, pull forward, you know, whatever that dynamic might be. But, you know, we'd be looking for growth in each in a nice balance going forward.
0: Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Our next question comes from our line of Brian Nagel with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your question.
9: Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. The,
0: the, the question
11: I have, um, I think Michael may have asked previously just about you know, price actions but i guess maybe to expand that a bit further so we we've been discussing now this trend in, in you know weak, weakness and bigger tickets for a while i mean obviously a very unique um demand backdrop but again it, it, from your perspective you know I mean, particularly as you look towards 24 are there are there levers that home depot could pull you know to potentially spur better demand within within big ticket you know other than other than price
2: Well, the, the number one way that we're focused to, to drive demand is with the complex pro so it's it's that is our key strategy and that's what we're focused on it's a 200 billion dollar space as we've defined the, the 950 split evenly pro and in, in consumer and at the 475 that's pro there's 200 billion that is you know, larger pros, more complex um, spend that we're building out the capabilities to serve that that demand. And that, Brian, you know, is what, what we're, you know, very, very focused on and, and think for years and years, that is going to be a driver of our business as we take share in that sort of $200 billion white space.
11: You know, thanks, Ted. I got it. And then my second, my follow-up, and much
2: quicker. Um, you know, we obviously
11: you, you narrowed your guidance for the balance of the year. We talked about trends in the fiscal third quarter, but any commentary on on sales trends early here in fiscal Q4? Uh, our,
5: our performance in the first two weeks is on track to achieve our full year 2023 guidance.
11: Very good. Well, I appreciate it. Congrats again.
5: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Peter Benedict with Baird. Please proceed with your question.
12: Hey, guys. Thank you for taking the question. Uh, another one on average ticket here. So uh, pre-COVID average ticket around $67. I think now it's kind of trending closer to $90, so up 35%. Um, Richard, just wonder if you have any perspective on kind of the like-for-like skew inflation component there versus the big ticket mix. It sounds like your like-for-like inflation is, seems to be stabilizing. I know there's innovation that can make things not like-for-like, but just curious as you think about the big-ticket exposure there um, and what, what, what could potentially play out there. You know, how big of a deal
5: uh, is that? Thank you. Thank you for the question. I, I think there are, are, there are a few answers to that. First of all, we have seen uh, inflation abate and really kind of settle on a like for like basis across the, the portfolio. Um, I, I think it's interesting. You see some, you know, we, we've seen different dynamics in big ticket over the years as we've had lumber inflation and deflation in particular skewing those results in
4: big ticket. Uh, but Billy, maybe you talk a little bit about trends there. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I'll just, you know, uh, Ted's. Um, response back to Brian on, you know, you see categories like drywall where we have capabilities, roofing, insulation, portable power, where we've added innovation. We continue to see great both pro and consumer um, reaction to, to just the innovation and things we're seeing. As it relates to big ticket, you know, obviously you've seen some deferral um, and so forth as we talked about. And certainly, you know, the pull forwards probably, you know, still playing a part in that as we continue to to get further away from, you know, the pandemic. So we, we'll uh, watch that closely. We don't see anything, you know, as I mentioned, stabilized pricing, a rational environment, and we don't see anything, you know, different from, from what we've seen over the last, you know, multiple months now.
12: Okay, th- thanks for that, guys. And then I just, I guess, turning to maybe the, the leverage and, and the pace of buyback, I mean, if we stay in this environment of, let's call it moderation in, in demand, how do you think about, um, just maybe balancing your buyback approach uh, leverage I and mean, you're still operating below the two times. Uh, is there anything that prevents you from kind of moving up to that two times, or are you, you know, just kind of curious your latest thoughts
5: uh, around those uh, those topics? Thank you. Thank you. You know, we've we've maintained a position very close to that two times uh, debt-to-economy leverage ratio, and we intend to do so in the foreseeable future. Uh, we will uh, also you know, really maintain consistency with respect to capital allocation. We invest in the business first, we pay our dividend, and then uh, as we determine excess cash, we flow that uh, to our shareholders in the form of repurchases. Uh, to your point, to date, we've repurchased $6.5 billion. Uh, there's really no change in our stance, and so I think that's that's the important takeaway there.
0: Okay, thanks so much. Good luck. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Baker with DA Davidson. Please proceed with your question.
12: Okay, uh, thanks. Uh, j- just thinking about the, the fourth quarter, if we take the midpoint of the implied guidance, it, it does suggest a little bit of a deceleration, yet, you know, it does seem like your business has been consistent. Is that just a function of, you know, am I reading too much into that, or, or, or do we expect a deceleration? Uh, and, and maybe a, a second part of that, as you said, Halloween was really strong historically, into your trimetry or your holiday decorating business? I think it's like in 10 of the last 14 years, your fourth quarter comp has been better than the third quarter. Why should this year be
5: different than that? Uh, thanks. Thanks for the question. It, you know, we we the narrowing of the range is truly what it is. We we saw the extreme points of that range become less likely, and so we felt it would be helpful uh, for our investors for us to narrow that range. Uh, there has been an assumption all year, Uh, from the beginning of the year, that our guidance reflected uh, a reversion of our share of PCE from the pandemic time period back to 2019 levels. Uh, Our prior guidance range assumed that that share would continue to revert throughout the year. We've seen that reversion gradually and steadily. And our current range still has an assumption built in for Q4. Uh, We're largely reverted, but not all the way back. So, there is some Uh, some notion of that in our guide okay so sounds like it's
12: like you said it's it's just a function of getting to to the middle of the range Uh, if I could ask one other question uh, you talked a little about about storms and seasonality I I think a lot of retailers have said it's been a warm fall Uh, how does that impact you do you need it to get cold and and, you know as we go through the fourth quarter to, to
4: drive your business how should we think about that thanks um, it's been a little warmer, obviously, but you know, not a big impact. We we started to see where the weather is, is normalized. Uh, we started to see some of that fall cleanup and fall business really really take off. Um, you know, haven't seen obviously you know snow and, and and so forth. So you know, it's kind of right in line with what we'd say is a, a little more normalized year where you see the weather um, act a little more fallish. You've seen you know the the categories and businesses that you'd expect to trend up trend in that in that positive direction.
12: Appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time.
13: Thank
0: you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen Forbes with Guggenheim. Please proceed with your question.
13: Good morning. Uh, T- Ted, or, or maybe for Ann, um, just a follow-up on pro sales, really focusing on the Dallas market versus the chain average. Can you, can you update us on how that market's performing? And then maybe just comment on any behavioral differences that you're noting between pro uh, markets, based on the maturity of your strategic initiatives focused on the complex pro. I mean, can you are, are you are you seeing and, and being able to analyze very like predictable behavioral changes?
3: Yeah, I'll start off by just saying that uh, the capabilities and functionalities that Hector and Chip, you know, have been working on over the last several years uh, are certainly you know going to help us engineer a great deal of me- momentum and success with the pro. And, you know, Chip, you know, uh, I'll throw it over to you again because of how intimately you are knowledgeable about that. But there is – is, the, the pro ecosystem is what we are focused on, now, and not the in-store side or the – not only the in-store side, but the complex pro. And as we build out these capabilities and we see the effectiveness of these capabilities, we're going to continue to leverage those. And, Chip, you know, I'll throw it over to you to kind of give a little bit more details on Dallas.
10: Yeah, thanks, Dan. And, and Stephen, yes, absolutely, where we've built capabilities inclusive of, um, assets, distribution assets, and where we've expanded our sales force, we've seen meaningful impact and growth. Um, our, our outside sales team is the best performing cohort of all pros. So we're, we're going to continue, as I mentioned before, to invest in that and then add assets where necessary in the appropriate markets.
13: Thank you. Maybe just a quick follow up for Richard or, or Billy all all the ticket conversations here any way to just sum up how the quarter for big ticket progressed relative to expectations it sounds like it performed better than expected you have sort of stabilization in multi-year big ticket comp trends i would imagine that wasn't the expectation but any any way to help us frame on how the quarter progressed for big ticket versus internal plan
4: yeah, I think you know. Listen, it was it was largely how we we planned it. We, you know, I called out you know some great um, interaction from our consumers as it relates to appliances. Having said that, we were in a better inventory position there, so we saw some tailwind from just our better inventory position as it relates to that. But it largely played out exactly how we had had, had thought it would. And really, again, back to the prior comments, a, um, a very balanced year. Across the board, when you when you account for some of the weather shifts early on, and then you know what we, you know what we were lacking with the hurricane, very balanced across the across the board and across the regions. I, I think it's important, though, thematically, just to sort of uh,
5: repeat the point. This this stance by the Fed of of higher for longer, uh, you know, is, is sort of coming across in surveys. Uh, you know, there is, there is a deferral of larger projects. And so if you just want to zoom all the way back to the true macro here and, and the forces on Ticket that we're watching, that's probably the largest macro force. That's right.
1: Thank you. Christine, we have time for one more question.
0: Thank you. Our final question comes from the line of Dean Rosenblum with Bernstein. Please proceed with your questions.
11: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking my call. Uh, my question uh, my question is about the pro and really just understanding the performance of the pro relative to the comp overall and then splitting that out between store sales to pro versus complex project sales to pro. So just to make sure I'm understanding, you can put up a, you know, call it a negative three comp, DIY and pro very close to one another, U.S. slightly worse than uh, Canada and Mexico. Um, So I'm assuming, you know, U.S. pro would call it down two, two and a half. Um, And then can you just either verify or correct that? And then can you characterize pro sales in the store relative to pro sales outside of the store through the outside sales force and the CFCs? Thanks.
5: Well, taking your last part first, it's an ecosystem like Ansat. We're actually not – we don't have – goals or targets with respect to the separation of store and delivered sales. The point is actually lifting all sales. And that's what we've seen consistently in every market where we've rolled out capabilities. Uh, you know, originally we worried, okay, our delivered sales going to begin to cannibalize the store? The opposite has proven true. And so we are progressing in, in a way that we're, we're pleased. Um, with respect to your first question, factually, uh, the pro did outperform the consumer in Q3, albeit at the narrowest margin we've seen in quite some time. If you actually uh, normalize for commodity impact, the fr- the pro was essentially flat for the quarter.
11: Okay, great. Thanks. And I guess my follow-up would be um, when you guys measure big project versus small project, can you just clarify for us how you are Determining what constitutes a big project versus a small. Is it like transaction size over a thousand bucks? And yeah, if you could clarify that for us, that'd be great.
5: We we infer from category sales and from class sales. Uh, you know when you when you look at categories that are uh, more likely to sell at higher volumes and larger projects: kitchens, flooring, uh, millwork to an extent. Um, it, we, we are doing some inference. We also ask our customers what they're seeing and what kind of projects they're working on. We use external survey data uh, that tells us that the nature of projects is um, kind of shifting from larger to smaller. And so it's a triangulation.
11: That's great. That's super helpful. Thank you so much, guys. Good luck in the fourth quarter.
2: Thank you.
0: Ms. Jancy, I'd like to turn the floor back over to you for closing comments.
1: Thanks, Christine, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We look forward to speaking with you on our fourth quarter earnings call in February.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation, and have a wonderful day.